With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, welcome to the Analyst Inside Cricket. This podcast brought to you by IG Trading and Investments. We're going to recap the first Titanic semi-final in the World Cup, which, of course, India have won. They have shed off their jinx of losing semi-finals in World Cups and have triumphed against New Zealand in Mumbai. Uh, later in this podcast, we'll also hear from a couple of the commentators uh, of their great World Cup memories and, and favourite moments, and also uh, just have a look at some of your thoughts about England's demise and what you made of it. Uh, but first, uh, looking back at that at that semi-final, Simon, I suppose for me, there was a feeling of inevitability as soon as Rohit Sharma won the toss and decided to bat egged on by about 60,000 in the stadium and probably 500 million on TV, all excited by the prospect of India batting first. And actually just looking at the win-viz probability or the win probability graph, it never got worse than 60% Indian victory from the moment that India decided to bat first. Is that how you saw it? Well, I thought it, was a, it looked like a good toss to win, didn't it? And Kane Williamson wanted about first as well. Before the match, there was all that chatter about the change of pitch. You know, it was a pitch that had already been used twice when they could have used a completely new surface, which you know would favour the batters, you'd think. But my goodness, I mean, this pitch favoured the batters enough, didn't it? Three nine seven played three two seven. You can't really have any complaints about the surface, although you know, it did seem odd those sort of shenanigans uh, before the match. You're in, you're good enough not to have the pitch that they want. Uh, you know, they're good enough to play on any surface, I think, and 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 do well. They, you know, they're such a good all round side, but they made the most of it, didn't they? They they batted first and they made the most of it. Three ninety seven for four. You have to be a pretty good side and have a great day out to chase that sort of score. Although at one point, it looked as though New Zealand were just getting themselves into a position from which they could manoeuvre a, a chase right at the back end there. And then that Kane Williamson wicket fell. And then from then on, India 
took control of the game. But you know, lots of talking points in the day, weren't they? Not least uh, Mr. Coley, the Don, the Don of one day cricket, scoring his 50th one day 100. Yeah, uh, amazing moment for him. And actually, a, a, a credit to his fitness, quite apart from his yeah. skill, because a lot of players, uh, especially in Mumbai, have been buckling with, with cramp and various other ailments. Uh, and Coley never shirked the opportunity to take a, a second run, a quick two. In fact, at one point, they focus on TV on his turning technique for a second run, getting right low to the ground like a sprinter, and a herring back for the second run. So he put in the work to get the runs uh, to, to make his 50th ODI 100, overtaking the great Sachin. And it, it was just, it echoed slightly the, the memory of, uh, of mine, actually, of being in Antigua when Brian Lara overtook the great Garfield Sobers's record test score, 365 not out, and Brian Lava got to 375, and Sobers was there to to, mm. to commemorate it and congratulate him. Uh, and, of course, Tendulkar, it was in his own backyard. So, of course, he was there to, to see Coley finally achieve the, this monumental uh, feat of 50 one-day hundreds. It's, it's, it's remarkable. Yeah, it's phenomenal, isn't it? I, I just think about Sachin. <laughs> he's sitting there having to sort of cheer someone breaking his record. He's, he actually, I wonder if he, he's actually thinking, mm, no, I'd not, I, I actually prefer to hold the record myself. But I mean, the thing is, he does. He has scored many more test hundreds than, than Virat Kohli. But, you know, he's sort, of, he's sort of got to play the cheerleader role, hasn't he, really? Um, I know he's you know, he's supporting India. But I just wonder, you know, whether he actually would just prefer not to, not to go to the game at all and just sit there and watch it on TV or something like that, or, or perhaps just go fishing rather than have to sit there and cheer while Virat Kohli uh, destroys his one day international record. It's funny actually, Yoz, um, you mentioned Coley's fitness and actually that's something I wrote down. I wrote down very fit and underlined it and it's absolutely right, isn't it? He, he just looks so fresh out there. You're running between the wickets. I made it that of his 117, only 48 came in boundaries so he had to run uh, quite a bit and sometimes you've got to run you know, when the ball's going for four as well, you've got to run at least one, haven't you? So you hit nine fours and two sixes. Yeah, and it's a testament to his fitness. I, I, I totally is. agree with you. And it's a measure, I think, of the way Indian society has changed, influenced by the cricketers like Kohli. Because if you think back to, I don't know, 20 years ago, in fact, Tendulkar's era, uh, I remember, you know, Greg Chappell, who was the coach of India at the time, trying to get players to do fitness and they didn't want to know. The likes of Surav Ganguly and others just weren't interested in the importance of fitness. And they weren't a very fit team, actually. And all right, so they won the 2011 World Cup. But before that, they weren't a very fit team or nation. And I think they've really focused on that in the last 10 to 15 years, the influence of the IPL, the growth of the middle class. You, know, you watch the TV ads now and the likes of Hardik Pandya, Kohli himself and others are promoting things like fitness drinks, hydration, nutritious foods generally, and, and you know, living a kind of fitter life. And, and, and you know, those kind of characters, those physiques are held up as a sort of symbol of, of health and vitality, quite rightly. And it has had a big influence on the nation. And I think, you know, funnily enough, I, I noticed Michael Vaughan writing in The Telegraph the other day, you know, casting... A light on shedding light on England's demise or you know disappointing World Cup and saying they're not fit enough and I sort of share that there are some who are but as a team they're probably not as fit as India and you know that that's one of the things that I think has converted India into this 
incredibly strong team is you know they've always had the skill but now they've got the fitness to back it up well well Coley really turned his career around a while back didn't he by getting super fit I mean really dedicated himself and I think you know he he showed that example to the rest of his teammates you say you see a lot of you know the players and um, not so much perhaps the ex-players um advertising uh, healthy things because uh, there's a there was about <laughs> in about a 10 minute spell there was about four adverts the same advert and it's Doney supposedly MS Doney supposedly just turning up unannounced at a, a sort of little cricket watching party and he sort of knocks on the door and they go oh my goodness is, is MS Doney on the strap line on the bottom says this really happened and you think mm, yeah probably didn't um, but he, he goes into the house and he says I'm only going to stay and watch the TV with you if we can eat these crisps while we're watching it so it doesn't you know it's not totally sort of you know fitness orientated um but yeah, that made me smile because i mean that, i must have watched that advert four times in 10 minutes have you have you have you tried the crisp uh, and, and no. by the way the, the indians are not the only people who've got crisp packets or similar snacks on their shirts or advertising them because mm. of course the hundred is is backed mm. by kp and all that and that's had a lot of flack that that particular uh, sponsorship deal quite rightly i think uh, but anyway, uh, overall, that the fitness levels of uh, of India have been in- impressive. Actually, I mean, and another thing uh, that has really struck me over the the last you know few weeks is that intent that they show with the bat now, which they never did. And, and this was something. This was a criticism I levelled at India probably five or six years ago, when they in fact it came to a head when they lost the Champions Trophy final to Pakistan at the Oval. And their power play was a, a bit sort of indolent, and it was. And Rohit Sharma opened the batting then as well, and they got to sort of forty or fifty in the power play, and expected other players to accelerate later. And at the time, I said they're going to get found out because they're not making the most of that first ten overs when there's only two boundary fielders. And I got a lot of flack on Twitter, inevitably, from a lot of Indian fans saying, "What do you know?" Well, I think they have finally heeded the lesson. And Rohit Sharma's taken that responsibility on his shoulders himself to set the tone and you know, down the wicket in the first couple of overs to uh, Trent Bolt, hitting him over the top for six, looking to hit boundaries in the first over of the game, taking 10 off the first over. Yet again, he got the 40-odd in 20 balls and really got the momentum going and others followed suit. That you know, 84 off, off 10 overs, the first power play, was really a, a strong statement and made it that much easier for the batsman coming in. Yeah, definitely. I'm, I totally agree with that. I mean, in, in so old-style Indian power play used to be, oh, yeah, if we score 47 for no wicket, you know, that's absolutely fine. We're happy with that. You know, the two openers have got in. They got they built the base to a, attack later. But, you know, Rohit got 47 himself inside that power play of 29 balls. He had four fours and four sixes. And, you know, you look at the, 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 some of the batting that, that came later. And Gill was, of course, part of that. He made 80 not out. Cody making 117. Shreyas are 105. But actually, Rohit Sharma, I thought, laid the base and he, and he showed the example you know this is the sort of thing Owen Morgan was talking about in the past wasn't it by sh- you know showing and Ben Stokes as well you know sh- leading by example and Rohit did that I think and okay and he hold out didn't he it must have been disappointing for him in a semi-final he was batting well he hold out good catch as well by Williamson uh, running back from from mid-off but it got India going and he thought mm, 84 for one after 10 overs this is looking ominous uh, for New Zealand and you know Gill played splendid, splendidly as well until he was uh, forced to retire her I mean he's a you know lovely silky talent and you know he's had his moments in this World Cup uh, 
he obviously started it out of the team because he was suffering from dengue fever. But I mean, he's a fine player, and you know, Coley's got all that experience and just sort of batted in a Coley way, hundred off hundred and six balls. Okay, it wasn't that particularly spectacular, but it was you know very much a, a sort of a, a, the way Coley plays in one day international cricket. Actually, there was that young upstart Shreyas Iyer sort of showed him up a bit, didn't he? The way he played, I mean, he played magnificently. Sixty-seven balls for his hundred, hit eight sixes. A tremendous innings from Shreya Sire. Yeah, I, I think, I, I suppose, one sort of slight regret I have is that the, 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 the New Zealanders weren't really able to field their, their first choice or their best attack. It was a real shame that Matt Henry was, was not available because of injury and that Tim Southey had to play instead because you and I both share the view that Tim Southey, fantastic bowler, but now a, a, a bit of a... Well, I think you put the word cannon fodder somewhere. You know, it's a bit harsh, but he he doesn't, he can't stop the scoring. Uh, He bowls a lot of hittable balls at this sort of standard and went for 100 in the end. He did get that first wicket, but overall he just looked, to a lot of that innings, it really looked like sort of club bowlers against county batsmen or, you know, international batsmen against county bowlers or something. It just looked... A bit of a mismatch, really. There was no one, even Mitchell Santner on the day, didn't bowl as well as he can, and uh, there was just a lot of runs to be to be had there by the the Indians. Nineteen sixes they hit in the innings, which is incredible. Kohli has gone to the top of the run scoring table in World Cups with seven hundred eleven. Admittedly, he's played ten innings and still one to go, which is more than a lot of players would have played in the past in a World Cup. And Rohit Sharma, 51 sixes now, the most ever hit by a player in the World Cup over his career. So uh, various little stats there that are just indicative of uh, India, you know, changing their, their mindset with the bat, which has put them into this tremendously strong position. Yeah, I mean, fa- fantastic, really. And you're you're right. They just it it looked just a bit too easy for them to score and and do what they wanted to do and just completely dictate terms. And there was nothing New Zealand uh, could really do. Uh, the ball did spin a bit, um, but you know, in, New Zealand don't have the same class of spinner as India have, which is perhaps what was behind the the move to play on a on a you know twice already used pitch so yeah they just couldn't hold the flow but and the pitch was certainly good enough for the, for the India to progress and then we saw actually later on New Zealand you know making a pretty good fist of it but I don't think there was anybody probably in the world even in New Zealand perhaps even in the New Zealand dressing room uh, once India had scored 397 for four that seriously thought uh, New Zealand were going to win the game because you go out there you have you know you, you take some try to take some belief into that second innings but 398 to win a World Cup semi-final you know no, no one has managed to achieve that sort of uh, score before so you know it looked highly unlikely but you know credit to New Zealand um, you know they did give it a bit of a go. So let's take a closer look at what the turning point of the match was from an Indian point of view the fact that they turned the tables on New Zealand eventually in that run chase and made more of the moments that mattered in today's game this is a segment brought to you by IG and I'm going to actually uh, focus on the situation when Kane Williamson and Daryl Mitchell were going so well and it was 220 for two uh, when they were really in, in absolutely in thrall together with a brilliant partnership. Um, Williamson made 69, Daryl Mitchell eventually 134, but with 220 for two, that was 170-odd runs to win. 
in about 17 overs. So, you know, it was 10 and over, but they had eight wickets in hand. And you felt they were just starting to make India worry. And there was a huddle going on with the, the Indians at a drinks break. And I could see a few concerned faces and plenty of silence in the crowd, which is always a good sign if you're the opposition. But then Shami came back and with his second ball managed to persuade Williamson to loft one into the deep and it was just caught on the edge. So he perished for 69 and then he took the wicket of Tom Latham two balls later, LBW. And that, for me, was a killer punch. You agree? Yeah, oh yeah, those two wickets, yeah. I, mean, I thought the Indian power play was an important part of the game as well. But I think those two wickets, I agree with you. The crowd were getting quiet. You, they, you could, they were just sensing that, hold on a second, this wasn't supposed to happen. And that partnership was really progressing well. And you're right, there was a huddle. And you just sensed there was a feeling of, oh, this, what is happening here? What is happening? Daryl Mitchell played, I thought, magnificently. Kane Williamson played a very typical Kane Williamson innings. And that big stroke, I mean, on another day, it might have sailed for six. It just didn't quite have enough on it, did it, out towards a deep square leg. When he hit it initially, I, mean, I was watching on TV, when he hit it initially, I thought, oh, that's going for six as well. You know, the run glut is continuing, but just caught inside the rope. Surya Kumar Yadav pouching it, and then Shami nipped him with another forfer on his way for his way to seven wickets. There's only one bowler in the history of one-day international cricket that's got more than seven and that was Chaminda Vass, who took eight once, eight, I think eight for 19 in a match against Zimbabwe. So, you know, he joins a whole phalanx of people who've taken seven wickets. That's pretty good, isn't it? Seven wickets in a World Cup semi-final. He's now the leading wicket-taker in this competition. He picked up the wickets earlier of Conway and Ravindra. Yeah, you know, and after that as well, the point being, they took those two wickets and then Phillips came in. He just couldn't get going to start with and they really fell behind the rate. And actually Mitchell, he just beginning begun to struggle with cramp a bit he was starting to struggle as well he had a little patch where he just hit the fielders couldn't make contact and suddenly that it, it, you know, it, the the balloon burst really for New Zealand from a moment of like this could be our big moment to you know 20 minutes later the game had sort of pretty much gone for them despite the the fact that, that Phillips and uh, Mitchell partnership progressed for a while and just sort of just kept them in touch but the rate was just going up and up and up so yeah two, two weeks from Shammy big game changers and great credit to, to Daryl Mitchell for, for keeping going actually and some of his shots and, and the, the way he's progressed as a cricketer uh, over the last 12 well two years I suppose he was a very important aspect of the New Zealand test team in England wasn't he a couple of years ago kept making big yeah. scores there and now he's managed to, to bring that game to the to one-day arena as well. And th there's definitely... T teams are fearful of him because he's got so much power and so much range. And, and also, actually, he, he seems to be very strong mentally. He doesn't seem to be affected by pressure. He seems to almost thrive on the better the bowling, the more you know, concentrated and focused and, 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 in a way, confident he seems to be because he's, he's already made 100 in this in this tournament against India uh, in another losing cause. But I, I love watching him bat. I think he's he's got that, a, a real charisma, panache, a, a huge follow-through, but some deft touches as well. Um, lovely man too, actually. I, I once did a masterclass with him about playing spin and he was so uh, you know, generous with his time and interesting with his thoughts and, uh, and brilliant with his demonstration. Yeah, well, he's, he's having a real sort of 
blooming of his career, isn't he? Hit uh, nine fours and seven sixes. He scored a hundred and thirty-four in a World Cup semi-final. If you, you know, if you said that to him uh, before today's play, you thought, well, we have got a good chance of winning the game. Then, if I, you know, if someone gets one hundred and thirty-four, but it was just a bit too many. That huge uh, India total. But yeah, Mitchell played really well. Phillips out for forty-one, and then and the rest just fell away, didn't they? Under the the pressure of the chase, really. And there was a bit of rabbit pie. You, I'm sure you took a bit of rabbit pie or a bit of rabbit pie when you were in your career. Yours at times, you know, when the tail enders are thrashing <laughs> away and you, you pick out some cheap wickets towards the end. But I mean, Shami deserved it. He took out four of the top order and came back to, to finish off the tail as well. Yeah, and, and I love watching Shami bowl. There's something sort of absolutely compelling about the way he hurtles to the wicket with his cheeks quivering and his body sort of vibrating with desire and passion. But again backing up that that sort of energy with skill with tremendous seam release and he just gets that little bit of movement doesn't he all the time especially early on just worrying all the players uh, the top order with little bit of movement either way and that insistent length and line good pace as well and uh, that and this sort of passion that he exudes he's a wonderful cricketer and He's come back from you know fitness problems in the past, actually, and got much fitter now and sustains his pace. He's also bowling just a touch fuller than he used to. Do you remember he, he came to England on a couple of series and he beat the bat all the time but never get any wickets? And he looked so good. And he'd finished with naught for 80 or something from 25 overs. And you looked up and he'd beaten the bat 32 times or something. But it was partly because he was just bowling slightly short of a length and wasn't getting the edge. And he's had the confidence and maybe listened to some advice as well that over the last couple of years, he's just bowling maybe half a yard fuller and he's getting the rewards. The other thing as well, of course, it's worth bearing in mind, he's the leading wicket taker, 23 wickets. He's only played six matches in this World Cup. He didn't start in the team at the start. It was only because of Hardik Pandya's injury, which everyone said, or we thought as well, could unbalance the team. That's the only reason he's playing. I mean, he might have got some games, you know, who knows, he might have come in for Siraj uh, eventually. But he benefited from someone else's injury. And look what's happened. 23 wickets in six matches. And he, he's not exactly the you know the first name on the team sheet, but he, get, he gets down there pretty quickly now. And... You know, seven for fifty-seven. I mean, those are those are figures uh, to remember and shout about in a, a World Cup semi-final. So India are there, Yoz. It's going to be a feverish atmosphere in Ahmedabad on uh, Sunday in front of around about a hundred thousand people. I mean, we wonder what you know people would turn up if it was say a New Zealand versus South Africa or Australia final. Well, they're going to be turning up all right on Sunday. It'll be all, all roads lead to Ahmedabad, all flights, all train journeys, buses, whatever. All hospitals um, are going to be all hospital beds are going to be booked like they were for the India Pakistan uh, game apparently. Yeah. And uh, well, it just shows actually how good India are because I felt New Zealand threw everything at them today with the bat in that pursuit of a, a almost unattainable total. And if you look around the Indian bowling attack, there was always someone they could call up there just to make a difference. You're trying to get 12 and over off Jasprit Bumrah, for instance, who bowled all the difficult overs and only went for 6.4 and over. Uh, they called on Kuldeep Yadav, who produced a couple of magical overs towards the end there, just when... The, the New Zealanders needed 12, 14 and over, and he produced a couple of excellent overs, which only conceded about four runs. Uh, obviously, Jadeja, a constant threat all the time. Uh, Mohamed Siraj, uh, 
didn't have perhaps his best day, but always asking questions as well. And, and Shami, we've mentioned. So it really is a, a highly high-class five-man attack. I was just hoping that they'd have to find a sixth bowler today because someone was going around the park. And who would that sixth bowler be? Well, possibly Coley, actually. And that would just expose a slightly sort of soft underbelly, perhaps, that they haven't got a sixth bowler, a, a sort of reserve bowler, if someone either fails or gets injured. But we didn't discover uh, that uh, that flaw today. And India uh, immensely deserve their position in the final on Sunday. So this segment was brought to you by IG. And if you'd like to make more of opportunities to invest yourself, IG gives you access to thousands of global shares and ETFs, as well as a range of educational guides and daily market analysis. Go to IG.com slash investments to find out more. And remember, when investing, your capital is at risk. So we'll take a quick break. And afterwards, we're going to hear from Ricky Ponting and Sean Pollock about their favourite World Cup moments of all time. And also consider your thoughts on England's lamentable World Cup campaign. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anytime anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses so join me in the fun sign up now at chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus so here are first ricky ponting and then sean pollock talking about their favorite world cup moments well, there's no doubt in my mind, my favourite World Cup moment was Adam Gilchrist's magnificent 149 against Sri Lanka in Barbados in, in 2007. He'd had a pretty lean World Cup actually going into that final. It was a rain-shortened game. He went out and dominated right from the start. Hit um, Jaminda Vass all over the place. Played Malinga really, really well. And when he brought up his 100, he held his hand up like this and we're going, oh, boys, 12th man, get out there. Gilly needs some gloves. And he starts pointing at his palm. Little did we know that he had a squash ball in the palm of his glove that he'd never tried before. He'd never used to practice. He was struggling with his bottom hand grip through the World Cup. Just thought in a World Cup, finally, he'd try something different and it worked. Magnificent match winning 100. Amazing story. Yeah, that's Gilly. You know, he didn't, he, he worked exceptionally hard on his keeping and his batting was just a, almost like a, a sideshow to, to how much he prided his, his, himself on his wicket keeping. And to play like he did on the biggest stage in a World Cup final says a lot about him. Well, my favourite moment would probably have to be the first time South Africa were back in a World Cup. 1992, Alan Donald playing against Australia, runs up, first delivery, great delivery, finds the outside edge, through to Dave Richardson, umpire says, not out. But it didn't matter, we were back in the World Cup, we were so excited to be back on the world stage, that for me, I was at varsity, I woke up early to watch it, that's got to be my favourite moment. So Pollock, of course, talking about 1992 and South Africa's readmission, which 
was exciting and actually they had a fantastic team as well and they were rudely denied a place in the final of course by that extraordinary situation in Sydney where I remember uh, looking up at the scoreboard after a rain interruption and it said South Africa need 22 to win off one ball and Brian McMillan hit the ball in a dull, desultory sort of way out into the mid-wicket region and then virtually threw his bat away. He was so angry because it was before the days of the Duckworth-Lewis-Stern calculation. And so there was this sort of ridiculous assessment of, well, you know, they recalculated the run target and they came up with 22 off one ball, um, which clearly was impossible. So... So England went to the final and lost to Pakistan. But uh, it was tremendous to see South Africa back. And obviously, Sean Pollock, still at school at the time, or still at university, actually, uh, watched it from afar. But, uh, you know, that leads interestingly into what we think about the, the, the semi-final on Thursday in Calcutta, which you're going to be at, Simon. Yeah, um, that wasn't a South African choke. <laughs> I mean, the, ch- the choking, if you like, started in 1999 when they, you know, the World Cup semi-final. They they really should have won against Australia. I mean, it came. It was very tight, but they had a last-wicket pair together. Lance Kluzner and Alan Donald the scores were level. You know, they had a bit of time to get the the, the one run, and there was a horrible mix-up and a run-out, and Australia uh, went through uh, to the final on on, uh, on run rate. So, yeah, that was when it all started, really. And they're, they're still dealing with the sort of psychological impact of that until they make a big breakthrough in a tournament, win a big game, a semi-final or a final, then it'll, it'll still be there. And, and, and you know, they, they know that it's talked about. And they're up against their old nemesis, the Australians, again, the, the third time that they played against them uh, in a World Cup semi-final. Um, yeah, anybody as well, by the way, anybody who wonders what the, the rain rule was uh, back in 1990s, just Google it. it was, it was brought in by Richie Benno. It was Richie Benno's sort of brainwave, um, but it wasn't one of Richie's greatest ideas. Um, it's it's quite complicated to explain, but it was about... You almost got punished for bowling maiden overs and tight overs, and they got taken out of the equation. Anyway, it, it was sort of really bizarre. Anyway, we've got a much better system now with Duckworth-Lewis uh, Stern method. Anyway, that was 1992. 1999, that's another story. And, you know, can South Africa... Okay, you know... It, it might be a not might not be a tight game, but if it is a tight game, can they get over the line uh, against the Australians? And, and yeah, what promises to be a fascinating semi-final? I think we all thought that India were clear favourites to beat New Zealand, and New Zealand gave it a go, but New Zealand, uh, India were just a bit too strong for them. But the South Africa Australia game feels a much more sort of even game. Uh, South Africa won the last four one-day internationals. They played against Australia. Mind you, always batting first. And they've actually won 15 of the last 18 one-day internationals they've played against them. So there's no sort of, sort of recent fear factor of the Australians. You know, they've beaten them quite convincingly quite a lot in the last few years. But it's it's a question about whether they can do it on the day. Mm. Yeah, and, uh, and Australia have had a, a sort of mixed tournament. But I feel they're, they're peaking at the right time. Uh, in a way, Glenn Maxwell sort of bailed them out of a what would have been a quite dispiriting defeat to Afghanistan with that extraordinary innings in Mumbai just over a week ago. And they hammered Bangladesh. So they finished the group stages on a high. And uh, I feel that their their players are sort of coming into form. And they've, done, they've had some good opening stands with uh, David Warner and Travis Head. Smith has been fairly consistent. So has Labuschagne. And they've got the, the power of somebody like Maxwell to come in, the, the sort of maverick, 
ability and obviously a very good bowling attack. The only thing is, I suppose their only weakness for me is that that, that lack of an obvious fifth bowler. Zampa was the leading wicket taker, so he'd been bowling well after a slow start. And then obviously they're, they're fine, quick bowlers we know all about. But there is that sort of opening for a fifth bowler for the, for the, for the batting team. Uh, which, which I just think perhaps South Africa will be able to capitalise on. And in a way, the same slightly applies to South Africa. I mean, if it's a turning pitch in Calcutta, which it could be, then they've obviously got Shamsi. And I really like Kirav Maharaj. Maharaj is a fine spin bowler, almost almost as good as Jaja. You know, perhaps not quite as threatening, but very consistent. And then obviously they've got all this sort of skill in the batting and, and power to add. So De Kock, you know, fantastic. Australia will be really targeting getting someone like De Kock out early because, like Sharma, he really sets the tone and he does it with ease. He doesn't seem to kind of, he doesn't break sweat getting fifty off the first few overs. So it is a tantalising contest. Definitely, and I think whoever wins the toss is going to look to. To bat first, South Africa, that's the way that's worked for them. And of course, Australia are probably thinking we don't want to let South Africa bat first. We want to make them suffer chasing, you know, put the pressure on them in the semi-final. The only thing is, I mean, there was early in the week, there was some talk of there being rain around in Calcutta on Thursday, definitely on Friday, which is the reserve day for the game. So if there's rain around, often teams want to bat second, don't they? Because they, they want to know what the equation is. But I think both teams will be looking to bat first and you know, try and build a big score and, and put the pressure on, on the opposition. And South Africa beat Australia quite convincingly earlier in the tournament by doing that, by getting over 300 and really squeezing Australia. And I think Australia will try to do the same uh, to South Africa. One name you did uh, miss out there, uh, Yoz, when you're going through that Australian batting line, is Mitch Marsh. He's their second uh, leading run scorer in this competition with 426. Now, they have got some power, haven't they? Warner and Marsh and Maxwell. You know, there's, you know, there's, and Stoinis potentially if he plays. I mean, they've got a, a team selection issue, whether they go Stoinis or Labuschagne or Smith. Presumably they play Smith. For the first time in the tournament, they've got all 15 players available you know the the players have been missing for all sorts of different reasons uh, during this world cup you know mitch marsh went back to australia maxwell fell off a golf buggy stonis has had a bit of a hamstring problem so you know but for once they've got everyone available so it's, it, i've been i've been interested to see what they come up with in terms of their team selection and team balance that's true and and the same for south africa lungu ngidi has been struggling with injury quite a bit so mm. um, whether he'll be available but they've still got and Bavuma. Yeah, and Bavuma was was hobbling, wasn't he, in that last yeah. game as well? So, there's one or two fitness issues there. Um, they still got a pretty impressive seam attack, actually, without Lungingidi. I feel at the moment he's their weak link, actually, and that Rabada and Marco Janssen and Kutsia are a pretty impressive three pronged seam attack. If only they got Andrish Nokia as well, but of course he was ruled out of the tournament a, a long time ago. But it is uh, a mouth watering prospect that match in Calcutta at Eden Gardens on Thursday. So we're looking forward to that. You're going to be there as well. Um, we did ask some questions uh, from our listeners uh, about uh, or some statements, some comments, some observations about England's uh, sad demise in the World Cup. We've had a few replies. Uh, Dermot Wickham says the big, biggest problem is England's ridiculously heavy fixture list, which means we rarely play our first choice 11 in ODIs because of the need to rest multi-format players well that's certainly true and I think uh, that has been alluded to by 
both Rob Key and and also Matthew Mott, the coach. I thought actually, you know, on reflection, uh, and you know, a few people have said this, it was a, a, a really impressive degree of honesty from Rob Key, sort of almost taking the blame for a lot of the the mistakes and and false decisions that that were made over the time. Half the time he wasn't even there, so it was quite honourable of him to to take the blame. What did you think? Well, yeah, I mean, it was it was an interesting uh, sort of press uh, interaction, wasn't it? TV, radio, and, and and newspaper interviews. Did three of them, and you know, it was a real uh, mayor culpa. Uh, Sean in Roundhay says, having read Key's comments, are England so rubbish that they can only prioritise one form of cricket at a time? I mean, that's you know, one thing he said. You know, we had to we focused. It was all Test cricket, wasn't we? Focused on Test cricket, and there were times when. You know, they were playing a test match and then very shortly afterwards, it might be like the next day, they were playing in a one-day uh, playing a one day match. And of course, you can't take the test players into the into a one-day match. So you know, there was that sort of aspect. And England do play a lot of test cricket, a lot more test cricket than any other uh, countries. It takes up more time, you know, preparation and the games themselves. So there wasn't that uh, focus. I mean, I, don't, I think it, it probably is the case, actually, that it is hard to focus on all three competitions at the same time and be strong in all three competitions. Although Australia might say, well, look, if we win this World Cup, we'll get, get to the final uh, tomorrow, we, we're world test champions. We won that early in the, in the summer in England. We defended the Ashes and we've had a you know, success in the World Cup because what it didn't do, they weren't very successful in their own T20 yeah. World Cup last year. At so, home. You know, it's not, so Yeah, at yeah. home as well. So it does prove that it's tough. You know, and I think also you know, the comments have been made that England were mentally exhausted after the Ashes. Well, you might say, well, half the ODI team weren't in the Ashes, but on the other hand, half of them were. And mm. I think the, 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 the intensity of an Ashes series and the focus of it and the build-up and... And all the kind of uh, the, the sort of noise going on around it is mentally exhausting. And I felt. What about you know, Australia, England, though? Well, uh, Australia too. No, sure. I mean, that, it does apply to both. I mean, maybe. Yeah, I mean, they they've got as many players probably in their test side as as they have in their one day side. Similar players. So yeah, I, I mean, I, I take that. I think the trouble is that you know, as soon as you start talking about mental fatigue and so on, you sort of begin to feel it. I'm, I may be being a bit harsh there, but I think that it does take a huge amount out of, uh, especially when you're at home in an Ashes series, you're expected to win it. Uh, you know, England have struggled to defend the Ashes at home on a couple of series now. And, you know, there, there's so much interest in it all the time. And, it, you know, the likes of Bearstow and Stokes and Wood and Wokes and others, are, are, I think, feel the pressure. And then they've got to come out to a World Cup. Um, it, it is tough. Uh, probably is difficult getting yourself up for big things, the whole, you know, big tournaments the whole time. Rakash says poor preparation. The Ashes players weren't motivated. Brooke was out, and then he was in. Contracts were announced mid-tournament. England thought they could just turn up and perform. The opposition have ste- stepped up their tactics. He's given all sorts of uh, reasons for England failing. Over-reliance on stats, South Africa game in particular. Well, we dealt with that one the other day. Actually, the stats of the South Africa game, they didn't say bat or um, field first or, or um, field second. They didn't. There was there was nothing. There was no great guide there. So that was a, actually a tactical decision. It wasn't about the stats uh, for that game. Uh, but it, actually, it, that was just a bit of lack of common sense, wasn't it? It was so hot in Mumbai that day. You know, why didn't you do what all club, all what 
all club captains do on a hot summer's day in England, don't they? They think, well, we like to chase normally, but actually, this is such a hot day. I tell you what, we'll bat, we'll get a big score, we'll roast the opposition in the field, and then they'll be heavy-legged when they go out to bat later. And that's exactly what uh, South Africa uh, did that day. I mean, we, you know, we've talked a lot about it. You know, a lot of people have put forward uh, you know, opinions about why England. Uh, didn't do yeah. very well in the World Cup. I think you know. I think poor preparation was one of them. Actually, I don't think they I, prepared very well. They they hoped it was going to be all all right on the night. Australia, yes, absolutely, yeah. Uh, you know, Australia, for example, you know, have been in India for a while. You know, they prepared, didn't they? They they played a series against India before the World Cup. So you know, they, yeah. They, I think uh, I think two of those lines in Rakesh's tweet uh, really sum it up. England thought they could just turn up and perform. And the opposition have stepped up their tactics. And both of those are true. And in a way, it emphasises the old adage that it's not as hard to get to the top as it is to stay at the top. I remember somebody telling me that uh, when I was about 21, when I'd had a very good first season. And they said, you know, it's great, you know, beginner's luck and all that. But you see if you can stay at that level. And it is very hard, especially when uh, in, in a World Cup, there are other teams uh, trying to emulate you and and usurp the kind of tactics that you brought in and do them better. And that's kind of what's happened certainly to India and possibly to, to other teams as well, is they've just stepped it up a, a notch and England have, have declined a notch. And mm. that's, been, that's been the difference. Yeah, well, huge credit to Australia because they lost their first two games and then they won seven in a row. Uh, you know that is a good comeback. OK, those, two, those first two games they had were against India and South Africa two of the eventual uh, semi-finalists, so two of the, you know, the better teams in the competition. But, you know, fair play to them. I mean, England weren't able to do that, were they? And India, the, I think, is just a fabulous side. Uh, and they are worthy finalists. And I think most people are, are expecting them to win on Sunday in Ahmedabad. Perhaps the challenge from South Africa... Um, or Australia will be a bit tougher than the one uh, from New Zealand, who just got a few holes in their side gallantly, uh, though they played uh, today in Mumbai. So uh, the fascinating question to be answered is, is it going to be South Africa or Australia in the final? My hunch, I, I make Australia just slight favourites, I think. Um, I don't necessarily, you know, it'd be hard to have sort of you know, really hard evidence for that. Uh, I just feel on the day in a semi-final, this Australian side might might just have a, just a bit more, I don't know, mental toughness than the South Africans, but we'll see. Yeah, and they've been there before. Many of the, the those players have been there before, haven't they? Got through a semi-final, got to a final. So I'm sure that'll stand them in good stead. So we'll bring you a podcast tomorrow after the second semi-final between Australia and South Africa. And of course, we'll also do a podcast immediately after the final on Sunday. This episode was brought to you in association with IG Trading and Investments. If you're thinking about investing in stocks and shares with IG, please remember your capital is at risk and the value of investments can go up or down and you could get back less than you invest. So don't forget, get to Calcutta early in the morning. Traffic might be bad and uh, we'll look forward to hearing your view on the game afterwards. Let's hope it doesn't rain. By the way, if you want to listen to all the commentators' favourite moments, you can go to my Instagram feed, Cricket Analyst One, where I've cut them all together. It's quite fun. Thanks for listening.
Podcast Network.